hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. And here we go. Line ball to start this game. Jeremy Loblotsky and John Morassi teeing off on one another. The Toporowski is just pounding away at Robinson. These, we said Toporowski, this is the guy who set a Western Hockey League record for 505 penalty minutes. Well, it's called like it is. Toporowski's a boon. Getting closer. He reaches in a right right back. He's not that Griffin. He's just fought. Stu Griffin. Oh, my goodness. Scott Parker for the KO of Stu Griffin. He- this is one of the best hockey fights we have seen in a long time. Bush tells the linesman, get the heck out of my kitchen. All right, Dexter. He absolutely decked Jim Crate with a wild right. Bashir staggered by a big left hand. On a penalty shot. Score! Blue guard down the wing. Blue guard pulls away. Score! Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to episode number 40 of the Five for Fighting podcast. My name is Alec, your host, and this is the show where we focus on the players who drop the gloves and the fans who love to watch them do it. Today's guest, we have one Mr. AJ Galante, and for those who don't know who that is, which you should know if you're listening, chances are if you listen to the show, you know who it is, but um, he was the the kid GM, the youngest GM in probably uh, hockey history, if I had to take a wild guess, um, but he was the GM of the Danbury Trashers, the bad boys of the UHL um, and you know, you could look up their story, their story's awesome. And basically it was, uh, a team that kind of loaded up on just a stacked bunch of tough guys. And, um, you know, like John Morasti, Frank Bialois, Stephen Pete, uh, Garrett Burnett or Jared Burnett, however you prefer to say it. Um, Roman Ender, you know, the list goes on like the, especially through the first season. I, I don't have my notes right in front of me, but we go over it in the show and I mean, it's. I, I probably spend a solid 10 seconds listing off names. It takes that long. <laughs> we'll put it that way because there was just an abundance of toughness and um, doing crazy stuff, you know, like calls to the bench to go take guys out and uh, stuff like that and uh, you know, just minor league mayhem all around. So I had a lot of fun with this interview and um, it's kind of cool. You know, well, it's it's only fitting that this is in the interview because um, actually, well, for one reason, for the first being that um, – Sean Avery, you know, I know you know some people don't like Sean Avery that much, but was actually just on Spittin' Chicklets, and he actually brings up Danbury and how they almost uh, got him to go to Danbury. They were trying to get him to go to Danbury. Well, me and AJ actually talk about that, so you kind of hear the backstory of it, and <clears throat> excuse me, so you get to kind of hear him talking about how uh, you know the. Um, the trashers were trying to get Avery and get him to Danbury and trying to get him along with a couple other NHLers. Uh, cause they did end up getting, I think it was Mike Rupp. Yeah, it was Rupp. I was, I wanted to say press, but no, it was, it was, uh, it was Mike Rupp. So who uh, of course ended up going to the NHL as well. So no, it's uh, it's awesome. And, uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, the second reason that it's only fitting is because the mustache classic is back on now. And, uh, for those who have been with the podcast for a while, you remember that, Last year, the Mustache Classic, which is a you know an event held up in Danbury, Connecticut, um, just started you know releasing everything. Matt started releasing everything back out again, saying that the event was going on and everything like that. 
Um, it's a charity hockey game that benefits, you know, suicide prevention or excuse me, suicide prevention and uh, mental health awareness and everything like that. So, uh, and they're you know partnered with the Movember Foundation. So, you know. I'll give you the spiel here and everything like that for it. Um, but no, I'm happy to happy that it's back and to be a part of it. But the five for fighting podcast is a proud supporter of the mustache classic ice hockey outing for men's cancer and suicide prevention on November 21st, 2020 at Danbury arena presented by champion elevator and ProStockHockey.com, benefiting the Movember foundation. Start having important conversations because suicide notes talk too late. And that is definitely true for sure. And uh, with my experience in the military and some people, you know, I've, I, it's it's a hard thing to do to kind of speak up and raise awareness about it because it's not easy for anybody, whether it's, you know, male or female. Um, it's not easy for anybody to talk about that. And so those conversations should be had. And uh, I'd be turning a blind eye if I said that stuff wasn't prevalent with, uh, you know, enforcers and stuff like that. So the guys that, you know, this podcast is about and based on that's kind of, uh, it really hits home there. So it's all around, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I can be a part and, you know, help maybe raise awareness about it and get some people. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, go check the uh, the game out or uh, go, um, you know, I believe I'll have to get with Matt. I believe there's somewhere you can go to actually donate money. I should have asked him that. That's my fault. Um, but I know Jack Gregg, the last guest I just had, he just became he's going to be a player in the uh, the mustache classic. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. That was able to kind of happen and everything like that. Sorry, give me a quick second. Let me get a swig here. Good old bush light. Yep. Um, but no, so, um, yeah, it was the previous podcast guest I had on was Jack Gregg. And uh, like I said, he's going to be an actual, he's going to be a, one of the players that's in the mustache classic. So that'll be a lot of fun, I think. And, um, and those, so I was trying to go up last year. The timing was just a little off, and then I was actually really going to try to make it up there this year. But of course, now with COVID and everything going on, um, yeah, don't think that don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. <clears throat> Excuse me, but um, you know, either way, it's a great cause, and uh, you know, happy to be supporting it. And Matt, thank you for reaching out for me, or excuse me, reaching out to me again, and um, you know, allowing me to promote that because it, it means a lot to me, um, more than you know you'll probably ever know, but. Um, yeah, so that's awesome. Um, and like, yeah, it's only fitting that, of course, it's at Danbury Ice Arena. All this kind of happened in the same week. The, well, I recorded this episode last week with AJ. And then next thing you know, the Trashers make spit and chicklets. And then the uh, Mustache Classic is back on in Danbury. So pretty cool, actually. Um, the reception for the Jack Gregg episode is awesome. I had a lot of people. Um, oh, excuse me. Good old Bush Burp. Um, a lot of people tell me that they enjoyed it and... Um, love the old Colonial League stories and the U-Haul stories and stuff like that. Um, well, and speaking of that, too, I, I can't believe this is... Well, I think it's cool that it's gaining steam again, but I can't believe people are just finding out about the video. And it's the uh, the old Jason Ralph mic'd up in the UHL um, video. And, you know, some people out there might not know what I'm talking about, but, again, chance are, if you listen to this podcast, you've probably definitely seen it because I've brought it up here before. But basically, Jason Ralph was a player for the Rockford Ice Hogs in the U, uh, the United Hockey League back when it was around. I want to say it was uh, this had to have been maybe oh four oh five ish, maybe oh three. Whenever they recorded it, I can't. Oh, how it would have had to have been the lockout year. That's right, because uh, that's when everybody was freaking out uh, when Spit and Shakelitz posted the clip. Because I forget who it was, but they mentioned, I think it was Hatcher or something. Mentioned something about. Um, 
that that clip because Hatcher and Chelios were playing for the uh, the old Motor City Mechanics, um, and they were in the United Hockey League. And Jason Roth is kind of chirping them and whatever, getting under their skin. Like, who gives a shit? Like, oh, he's a legend or whatever. Why? Well, I, I get where Jason Roth is coming from. And there's actually a the that whole entire segment is actually from a video called uh, I think it's Road Hogs, and I actually didn't know that part was or that whole thing was on YouTube. And that's like a it might even be two hours, but I know it's at least an hour. Uh, documentary kind of following the Ice Hogs, the Rockford Ice Hogs, when uh, during that season. So that's what that whole clip is actually from, is when Jason Ralph was mic'd up in that little uh, documentary. So that's where it actually comes from. But, um, yeah, you, you know, you see people with the spit and chiclets. And, uh, God, you know, am I the biggest spit and chiclets fan? No. Um, you know, it is what it is. They, they got their audience. It works well for them, and they play it up, and that's great. More success to them, and that's awesome. But, um Personally, that's just their their podcast isn't particularly in my cup of tea. If they have a tough guy on or something, I'll tune in. But um, I don't go out of my way to really listen. Like I just listened to the Fedoric episode today, though, which was pretty good, and uh, that was pretty pretty cool to hear Todd Fedoric talk. But either way, the their fan base is you know it is what it is, and you know they like again they know their audience, but it's always these people. They see this, oh, and what league is that? That's fucking looks like, you know, rec league fucking hockey. And, you know, that just looks fucking awful. And that guy can't fucking skate for shit and whatever. Talking about Jason Ralph. Well, <laughs> like, fuck you, kid. <laughs> like, seriously, if those kids even stepped foot on the ice in the old United League back in the day. Oh, my God, they'd get the fucking floor wiped. Like, Jesus, it wouldn't even be close. And all these all these people that always say that shit is always the same guy just, you know, stuffing his face with Doritos who just scored two goals in fucking rec league two nights before. So apparently he knows what good hockey is. Meanwhile, if he ever had to fucking get even remotely close to the Danbury Ice Arena for a fucking game, he'd shit his pants. So, yeah. But, yeah, it's 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 terrible hockey. Never mind you that multiple NHLers actually played there, regardless if they were a tough guy or not. A lot of NHLers played there. Fuck, there's a reason that the, uh, you know, some of the big boys went to the United League after that instead of the AHL because the caliber of hockey was actually very fucking good. And it was, um, you know, it's kind of like the old IHL is what it reminded me of, I guess, if you can compare it to anything. Uh, A lot of toughness, great fast skating players, hard hitting. Um, The United League is actually probably my favorite hockey league of all time. Of course, I'm biased growing up with the Mallards, but... um, yeah, so it's I just always laugh like at people like that. Oh, it's just that looks like fucking shinny or God, that hockey's fucking terrible. And again, meanwhile, they're just you know, <laughs> they probably scored a couple goals in floor hockey and fucking PE growing up or something. So you know, fuck off, dude. Jason Ralph would one skate circles around you, but two. Again, just going stand along, you know topic for the episode i could could you imagine you know one of these fucking assholes saying that shit and they have to step in step into the danbury ice arena when you got fucking section 102 going fucking ape shit the hell the hell's horn going off you got aj calling down to the bench to tell wingfield to go take that fucker out on the bench or take him out on the ice and shit oh yeah yeah tell me how bush league and how uh how shitty the hockey is then yeah fucking all <laughs> fucking awful man just fucking awful um but no, so I just always laugh at that and had to get my uh, my little rant and bitchiness in as I naturally do every time. But, um, you know, it's fine. just going along with the U-Haul League again. Um, I just listened to the episode with uh, Darren and Jay, Jay up in Iowa. And, of course, you know, Jay, I know you're 
a listener of the podcast and I've actually met you in person. I've had a lot of fun going through the game worn jerseys that you're uh, in your collection up there in Iowa. And, um, you know, you gave uh, me and my family tickets to go to the uh, Quad City Storm game, which was awesome. We had a great time and uh, never forget that. So I had a lot of fun listening to that one and I just finished it today. I listened to the majority of it. I think I had like 20 minutes left of it today. Um, you know, so you can go check that out. And that's, you know, pretty much Jay's talking about the Mallards. And so it's a real treat for me, of course, being from Quad City. So, you know, I was loving every second of it. Um, you know, Toporowski stories, um, OJ Hare, the bringer of violence. And, you know, you definitely go tune into that. And, of course, that's the fourth line voice, the original Enforcer podcast. You know, the Enforcer based, or excuse me, Enforcer based podcasting hashtag. Um, so, and also it is today um on this lovely thursday it is darren's birthday so happy birthday darren i you know i'm not sure how old you're turning probably got to be about you know 97 or something like that but you know for darren here you go hold on there you go i mean what better way to celebrate your birthday than with a good old bush light i know you'd be proud of that (laughs) <laughs> um i know it's not your your rolling rocky like to get down here when you're in the states but i think it'll do um so no happy birthday to darren and you know um darren it's funny we were talking me and him and uh you know a lot of these guys on twitter and everything like that i feel like i've known them for a long i mean i technically i have known them for a long time but i feel like i just almost know them on a personal level or excuse me personal level um i've known these guys for x amount of years now from being on twitter and just bullshitting back and forth and i mean me and darren message probably fucking you know every other day if not every day um same with me and chris and who i've had on the show as well so um you know it's it's cool and thanks for all the help that darren has given me with podcasting and when i first started out and everything like that and being real supportive of the show i really do appreciate it so uh cheers to you bud and you know hope you have a good birthday um and go check out Darren's Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel, and he's got over 2,000 videos, uh, including, I think he might have a couple Trasher videos. Maybe. Maybe not. I know the footage is limited, and I talk about that with AJ, I think, in there. AJ, I know you have all the footage, bud. <laughs> Somehow you got to convert that to DVD. Just start selling that shit. I guarantee it'll sell pretty quick. Um, but, no, I know he's got a lot of Colonial League fights on there for sure. So I, if, if he doesn't have any Danbury, I know for a fact he's got, you know, old United League and colonial league footage so um there you go happy birthday man i'm done pumping your tires so that's that's my gift to you um (laughs) so uh you can also go check out joe lazito over at the coliseum chronicles the penalty box he is back he's off his hiatus or his little break which totally again totally understand taking a break from podcasting i get it um you know, sometimes it's I, I even took a break myself. And then, of course, like I said, when I took a break and I came back, I forgot my headphones were or, well, no, the, the headphones I was going to go edit everything with uh, were packed away. So then ended up extending my little break for like another week. But either way, uh, Joe's back. He just released an episode. Um, who the hell was it with? I can't remember. I've got to pull it up on my phone here, as I do every time. Um, I know I listened to the first, I think, 30 minutes of it today is what I got through. Jody Robinson, that's right. Uh, excuse me. I got through about the first 30 minutes of it, so Joe's back on the saddle and doing great things. And, uh, you know, go check him out. He's got his own little shop up on Shopify, I think is what it's called. But go check out his Twitter and everything like that, and you'll be able to get some Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box merchandise. And, of course, um, last but not least for the Tough Guy and Enforcer-ish uh, podcast, is Bobby Longgrass over at the Bucket Drop, and he hasn't released his 50th episode yet. And Bobby, I don't hate you, bud. Listen, (laughs) 
whatever beef you had with, with with Pat and everything like that, whatever it is, I don't know why or what it is, you know, the rhyme or reason for it. Whatever it was, you know, I wasn't trying to be an asshole to you or anything. I was just saying, just don't don't be posting that shit in the group. I don't. It's not what the group is for. You know, go handle that in your own time. Whether you were blocked or he was blocked, it doesn't matter, man. Just nothing that you don't need to result everything into a charity boxing match. We'll put it that way, and I'll leave it at that, bud. But you know, no hard feelings there. So you go check out Bobby Longgrass's podcast. He's got plenty of interviews with tough guys like. Uh, Screwy St. Louis, Dean Mayer, and John Morasti. list goes on. So uh, definitely go check that out. And last but not least, we'll get the quick plug in for the podcast before we get going here with AJ Galante. Um, so go check out the podcast Facebook page. Just search Five for Fighting Podcast. Give it a like. You'll stay up to date with everything on there. While you're on Facebook, check out the Enforcer Appreciation Group. It's a group uh, I started back last year in May, and it's got almost, I think, 12,000 members now at this point. group that has a bunch of different former players in there. From anywhere from guys who played in the Western Pro League, CHL, ECHL, LNH, NHL, you know, the list goes on. It's awesome. You know, Cam Jansen's in there, Mike Segroy, John Morasti, Dean Mayrand. Um, I mean, fuck, what more could you want, right? You know, the list goes on. So you get inside info from those guys, and they'll kind of give their two cents on certain fights or what this guy was like or how it was fighting that guy. So it's pretty cool. Um Again, that's Enforcer Appreciation. Just go ahead and send a uh, join request, and you will be accepted. Just don't be – pretty much I'll, I'll give you the basic rule that an old gunny used to give me was, you know, don't be a dick. <laughs> that's pretty much pretty much the only rule in there. As soon as you start being a dick, it just you get booted. So um, we'll leave it at that for the group there. But uh, if you want to check out the podcast on Instagram, just type in, you know, five for fighting pod typed out normally. Uh You'll be able to find it. I post fight videos there. Like same the same videos I post in the Enforcer Appreciation Group, I'll post there on the Instagram as well. Um, and you can stay up to date there. And last but not least, if you want to check the podcast out on Twitter, go to five the number, and then four fighting pod. And it should pull up right away. And again, I post. You know, I probably post there the most just through you know uh, replying and bullshit with a couple guys in our little fight community there that we have um, as far as, you know, fight fans, everything goes. So um, that's probably where I'm most active as far as replying to people. Sometimes I'll reply to people on Facebook. It's just there's so much shit going on on Facebook sometimes uh, that some of the comments and stuff will kind of get lost in translation, I guess you could say. But um, one, one sec. There we go. There's fucking Darren's birthday bush there. Um, <laughs> but no, so um, last but not least, uh, a couple other things to check out. Go to winprobertwasking.com. He runs a fantastic website and also runs a YouTube channel. That's Steve that's out there. Um, he's also on Twitter. But go check out winprobertwasking.com. You can check out. It's kind of like a like an old like form or blog, I guess. That's, that's probably the better word for it. It's like a blog for fighting. And Steve kind of covers a bunch of different stuff. There's numerous different topics, like top 20. I think it was 25 guys he had in NHL history and fighting of all time. So you can go check stuff like that out. Um, in the last podcast, I'll give a shout-out to And, of course, I know he's a huge fan of the Trashers, and he was very excited for this one. And he's been on the show, and I've had um, – or, excuse me, I've been on his show where we did the swap cast way back when with the history of uh, hockey fights episode i think i had it is what i labeled it as but that's shane over at the history of hockey podcast um he doesn't necessarily cover you know just specifically fights but he does cover um some enforcer stuff and fights and um 
things along those or excuse me along those lines and then he also does a bunch of regular hockey stuff but it's very in-depth um Shane does a very, very good job, and he types everything out. It's very professionally done. So definitely go give Shane a uh, listen. You know, he's also got a three-part special with uh, Doug the Thug Glatt or Doug the Thug Smith, the Hammer Smith, whichever you prefer to call him. Um, <laughs> but, no, the real the real Doug Smith, who was the inspiration for Doug the Thug Glatt in the movie Goon. Um so you can go check that out, and he's also got one, I forget the exact year, but it was the great dust-up of something, but it's basically about a huge like line brawl and bench-clearing brawl that happened back in the day, like old-time hockey we're talking here. And he's also got a Danbury Trashers episode, too. So, um, yeah, definitely go check that out. Uh, but last last thing I'll say before we get it over to AJ Galante is if you could do me a huge favor, please rate and review the show. That would mean a lot to me. really helps the podcast grow. I, I got one review last time from... Um, Whomever it was that left a review for the Jack Gregg episode, I greatly appreciate it. Um, but it really helps the podcast grow. You know, I'm not necessarily saying you have to go leave a comment saying this is the greatest podcast ever because, well, then I know you're fucking lying. <laughs> but uh, no, so, you know, if you want to just click whatever whatever you feel the podcast deserves, you know, one star, five stars, I've had it all. Um, but it does help the podcast grow and, you know, help reach a broader audience and, you know, who, who knows? Maybe we can grow this thing to be something special one day. You know, I think well, I think it's already special. It's special to me for sure. But uh, get a little bit, get, get the boys' stories out there and get some notoriety going for the guys who have the toughest role in hockey, I think. Uh, it'd be good. So, yeah, do me a favor. Just rate and review the show and uh, help it grow a little bit here. But anyways, we'll cut it off there. I've been yapping your ears off for 20 minutes over here. And you're probably wondering where the hell is all this Danbury Trasher talk. Um, so here it is. We will pass it over to AJ Galante. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoy. This should be good. This should be very good. Tonight's guest on the Five for Fighting podcast, we have a man who was the youngest GM in hockey history, and he went on to be the GM of the most infamous, probably minor league hockey team of all time. They were known as the Evil Empire and the Bad Boys of the United Hockey League, the Dan Barry Trashers, and that is one Mr. AJ Galante. AJ, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and bullshit with me for a little bit and, uh, you know, maybe maybe talk about the myth, the legend known as the Trashers, like we like we talked about uh, before we got going. It's kind of like the old uh, old urban legend and hockey uh, fight lore. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We we uh, it was a hell of a ride. For sure, man. Before we uh, before we get going, I always like to ask my guests. You know, what do you what are you up to today? I, I see you're kind of involved in boxing a little bit there. Yeah, well, you know, after after you know the team disbanded, um, you know, it, it was. It was it was heartbreaking, and and I really wasn't involved with sports. I, I've always been huge into all types of sports, and uh, you know I started getting an itch. You know, about 2011, I got the itch to get involved uh, with boxing. I had some opportunities come my way, uh, managing pro boxers, things of that nature, and I figured, you know, the trashers was basically boxing on ice. So I figured, you know, <laughs> we'll cut the middleman out and stick to just the fighting, and. Uh, yeah, we. Um, I'm currently a professional uh, boxing manager. I do some promotion, but mainly a manager. I own Champs Boxing Club in Danbury. Got a lot of uh, young pro and amateur fighters, and you know, just just trying to bring another identity to to our city of Danbury. Right on, man. There you go. It's it's funny because I feel like yeah, you know, I think you mentioned it in the uh, the Sports Illustrated, um, you know, little mini doc that you guys had had, but I think. 
Danbury will always still be known for the trashers, <laughs> no matter what happens in that well, town. I think it'll always be known I, for them. I definitely, I definitely, um, you know, still to this day is um, <laughs> still to this day it, it, it's it still creeps around and people still talk about it, which is you know still unbelievable to me and very humbling. It was just really two seasons, but it felt like twenty seasons in a way. And uh, no, it's, it's it's great. I definitely definitely think it's uh, embedded in the uh, culture out here absolutely um well well you know we'll kind of get right into it here so you know your dad was the owner of the team what made him kind of want to bring uh bring hockey out to you know the little town of danbury connecticut of all places well you know i played hockey growing up um you know i wasn't an uh i wasn't an elite hockey player but i played you know i played very trasher-esque in my high school days and <laughs> coming up and uh yeah no i mean uh he kind of got into hockey basically through me, you know, uh, following my little high school career and everything. And I think he really took to it. He, he enjoyed, he enjoyed the sport. He actually has a lot of knowledge for it that people don't give him credit for. I mean, it was random that we just started a team, you know, especially him, but he really took to the game and, and learned all the rules, how things work. And he enjoyed it a lot. And, uh, you know, unfortunately my, um, my senior year of high school, I, I suffered um, a, a very bad knee injury. I uh, was out for the season after like two or three, I think it was the second or third game of the year. And it was tough sitting out my senior year. And, and uh, he, he just, unbeknownst to me at the time, he had planned, you know, uh, he was looking to do something with minor league hockey, actually in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, New Haven has a rich history in minor league hockey. They had a team and, you know, they were having some political issues in New Haven with the ice arena down there. They were looking to demo it, and my dad tried to save that team out there. It didn't end up working out. And unbeknownst to me, early 2004, he, he got it in his head that he can just start one in Danbury at, at, you know, the same arena that I played high school at, and that's kind of where he was coming from with it. Right on, man. Well, <laughs> playing – Get a professional team in the same arena that you play uh, high school hockey, and what could go wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just everything off the cuff. It's just kind of like shoot first, ask questions later. It was, uh, it w- it was funny, and um, you know, it, it, I tell the story all the time. He he he. It was a Sunday night. We're eating dinner, and he just so nonchalantly, you know, said he uh, was going to start a minor league hockey team. He wanted me to be the GM. Yada yada. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, I, my dad always says he walks his talk. So, you know, usually when he says something, he means it, but I didn't know where really what he was talking about. And I just said, okay, sure. Yeah, that sounds great. And the next thing you know, it a few days later, it was all in the paper and it got, it got real very fast. For sure, man. You know, <laughs> 17 years old and you're the GM of a hockey team now. Oh, I couldn't even imagine. Hell, I, I couldn't imagine being a GM now, let alone at 17. Good night. Yeah, um, it was it was um, it was definitely um, it was a shock value. I tell people all the time. I thought about even going to him and being like, "Hey, you know, I, I don't want to do it." Actually, I I felt a lot of pressure, but you know, I knew I couldn't I couldn't say no to him. So it just you know we just went from there. Right. You know. Well, you know, their name became the Trashers. Obviously, is a is an ode to your dad's uh, company that he had uh, that he had. 
But were there ever mm -hmm. any other names that kind of came up in the bid there at all? Like, did did you guys think of anything else, or was it trashers from the get? -go? My dad had my dad had trash. I mean, there was no debate. I mean, he he <laughs> had it basically trashers from the start. Um, to be honest with you, and it's funny, I tell people all the time. In the beginning, I hated the name. Um, I thought it was a stupid name at first. I thought it didn't make sense. I thought, you know what are we going to do for a logo? It was, it was, it was, it was, I was a little scared at first, but he was adamant about it being the trashers. And, um, that's, that's, that's where, that's where we went with it. Right on. It's one of the most infamous logos now, of course. Um, <laughs> I'd be wondering the same thing, honestly, how the hell do you make a logo for, you know, a tr like a trash can of some sort, but it all, it all worked out and ended up looking, uh, looking very nice. Of course. Um, well, the funny, the funny thing with the logo was, to make matters worse, was uh, basically that wasn't even the original logo. I mean, um, the original logo was kind of – he had someone that used to um, decal his garbage trucks kind of sketch up a little logo. And it was basically – it wasn't even a character. It wasn't even the scrappy character. It was just like the name, Trashers. It, it was not good. And I tell people when we were going to the ice arena to announce the team, you know, with the press conference, that was really going to be our um, our logo reveal. And it was it was so bad. It was just text, really. And we had we had it like covered up with a banner at the uh, arena and we were going to unveil it. But literally 10 minutes this is a true story. 10 minutes before we uh, went to that press conference. We got a fax. My dad got a fax, and it was a guy. Um, his name is Dominic Alessandro. He's um, he works out of New York City, but he's from Danbury. He works for a marketing company. He had heard about us in the paper and sent us a sketch of what is now, you know, the infamous Trasher logo. And we both looked at each other and said, "Well, this is going to be the logo now." So the day we announced the team, we didn't have a logo or anything. We didn't unveil the original one. Because we, we we had this little sketch piece of paper, we were gonna turn into the real thing, and that that's that's the the scrappy logo, you know, the trasher logo almost wasn't wasn't. So it's thank God we got that fax. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's just, what could be better than a trash can playing hockey? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then and I tell you, I I it wasn't until I saw that logo where I kind of bought into the name, and I right. thought it was gonna be definitely cool and unique, but um. You know, thank God for Dominic and sending that fax, and it, it all worked out. Absolutely. Um, well, so you're you're 17 years old as the GM, and you're kind of starting to wheel and deal players. And not only that, though, you you know you're you're dealing with players who are minor pro hockey players, uh, so they've been in the system for a while. But that year was also the lockout, so now you're dealing with NHL caliber players, guys who actually played in the show. What was that like? Was that nerve wracking? Like, would you just you know? pull up the phone, kind of have a couple contacts and just be like, Oh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Hey, Stephen P you want to come play for the trashers? <laughs> well, you know, the lockout, it, it was, it was like the perfect storm for us to be honest with you, because, um, you know, anytime, you know, when a minor league sport comes into a city, we were the first minor league sport, really, you know, first hockey team in, you know, Danbury. And frankly, you know, obviously there's going to be that initial interest and, you know, you hope to win fans over. But with the lockout, we really were able to engage, you know, the typical hockey fan that now wasn't getting it from the NHL. So, I mean, we used to regularly have people from, you know, New York City, New Haven, you know, all over come to the games. And 
you know, the lockout was kind of important for the creation of the trashers because it, it, it gave us a little leeway with the fans and, you know, they, they, they um, gave us a chance where maybe they would have just went to a Ranger or Devil or Islander game locally. And um, it really worked out for us, but nervous, you know what? I, at the time I was 17 turning 18, I, I was still like a fan. So I'm a big New Jersey devil fan. So, you know, I, I was like, it was just a humbling thing to be able to talk to some of these guys. And, you know, we, we, we try to get everyone we could. I mean, I know a lot of, a lot of teams that end up having some NHL players, you know, on their rosters. I know it was, it didn't go over well with a lot of the players because they figured, you know, the, the young guys should get a shot to play and not these, you know, millionaires, you know what I mean? So I, I didn't care. I wanted, I wanted, if we could have had an NHL roster on the trashers, I was going to do it. And, uh, that's what that's what we were going for for sure man and you know what made you guys kind of well before before i ask this question actually let me just announce this roster real quick it'll be a little bit long-winded for the guys you had and just the uh the inaugural year of the trashers as far as toughness goes you had (laughs) you had bruce richardson roman ender brad wingfeld jerry hickey dave mcisaac john morasti mike rupp stephen pete Jared burnett chad wingfeld frank bylos and mario larock all on the same <laughs> roster, just absolutely insane yeah. to even think about. Um, but what made you guys kind of want to be that tough team that that just you know kind of goes overboard, almost like the LNH where they each team had you know four or five guys. Well, you guys had you know fucking eleven of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what made you guys kind of want to just take over the league by storm like that? Honestly, that was always the plan from the start. You know, after the initial shock of, hey, we're getting a team, you know, went away. I realized, you know, me and my dad realized, hey, we got to build a team now. And, uh, you know, we definitely had some help. We had guys, you know, who've been around minor league hockey come in as scouts and, you know, all different areas and avenues. But, uh, no, that was that was it from the start. You know, you know, again, back then, um, hockey was played different. You know, you had enforcers, you had regular fights and, you know, to me, any business you gotta you gotta you gotta highlight what makes you different. And and to me, hockey what drew me into hockey as a young kid was the contact, the fighting, the not so much the fighting. I enjoyed it, but I liked the contact, the hard hits, all that stuff. And you know, we're, I'm a big um, well now they're Las Vegas. I'm a big Oakland Las Vegas Raider fan, and and I do a lot of history of Al Davis and how the old Raiders used to be back in the day and how they basically created a cult-like following just the way they used to play hard-nosed and you know rubbed people the wrong way but people just love to hate them and that was really that was really me and my dad's um mindset from the start is we we were going to and you know what at the end of the day it's it's basically double a minor league hockey it's pro obviously two steps from the show but you know what it's entertainment too you know people people want to be entertained and um, we just want we want to give it to them. For sure. At the end of the day, like uh, you know, the saying goes, "Red ice sells," and it's true. Um, yeah, it's I mean, I mean, look, I, I tell people all the time. I mean, I don't know if, and again, I've been a, I've been away from the game for a while now. I'm away from the game a while now, but back then, I remember they used to have you know, dropyourgloves.com, hockeyfights.com. Oh, yeah. You know. You know, I never saw hockeygoals.com. You know what I mean? I mean, people <laughs> enjoy, you know, they enjoyed it. And, I mean, there was rankings. There was message boards. It was, it was just a fun time. 
No, for sure. And it's funny because, you know, you go to people who might not always be hockey fans or the biggest fans. Like, they're not that into the sport. And you ask them, oh, are, are you into hockey at all? And their, their answer typically across the board is always the same. Oh, no, I'm not that big. I don't watch it that much, but I love it when they fight. Well, there you go. Exactly. It's all yes. you need. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I know. And, and it's, you know what, after the, you know, after the team disbanded, unfortunately, you know, it was hard for me to watch NHL hockey for years. I kind of just started getting back into it the last two years or so. And the game has changed so much in that little of a time. I, don't get me wrong, still entertaining, but it's definitely not what I, it's definitely not what I remember. It's not the Trashers brand of hockey. <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think we would have made it in 2020 for sure. Oh no, you guys would be kicked out of the league in two seconds. That wouldn't even, <laughs> that wouldn't even happen. <laughs> yeah, because um, you know, well, the first season, man, you guys set the UHL penalty minute record with 2,776 penalty minutes collectively <laughs> as a team. That is insane. Yeah. Wait, you know, I mean, because. Yeah. You wanted that toughness, and you guys took that and you ran with it. Absolutely, just ran with it by adding all these guys, setting records. Man, there was no way people couldn't hear about Danbury hockey. No, I mean, if you're gonna do it, you got to do it. And I'm, 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 I have a little bit of OCD, so I'm ashamed we couldn't get to 2,800 because that's more <laughs> of a round number. But no, we we had fun, and and the guys, you know, listen. Uh, Back in those days, you know, you had fighters and you, you got had, to, you know, guys do their roles and stuff. But, you know, what, what I learned is a lot of the guys who were quote unquote, you know, enforcers, they didn't necessarily like doing the job, but that's their job. And they knew what they had to do. We what my goal was to find guys who actually truly enjoyed being an enforcer. And, you know, guys like Brad Wingfield, John Morasti, Ruman Ender, I mean, just monsters who, who actually love to you know create chaos and it just fit exactly what we were looking for exactly and those those are the guys who are typically the scariest is the ones who love to fight because they're not really skittish they just go in like well i mean john morasti one of the most infamous toe-to-toe you know stand back and chuck fighters you'll ever find um yeah and i mean you're <laughs> you want the guys who like to fight you got them that's for sure well, that's a, that's exactly it. I mean, and, and the thing was what a lot of, and it's funny because a lot of guys would say to me, well, you have too many fighters. They're not going to know what all people have to do is just not fight you guys. But I'm like, no, nah, they'll be forced to fight. And the thing was, you know, the enforcers like coming here because it wasn't, you know, most teams, like you said, if you have your main enforcer, maybe a second guy, you know, we had a roster where, you know, a, a guy didn't feel like he had to fight every day because we had about 10 other guys who could take <laughs> care of that for him. So it really, guys enjoyed it. And, um, you know, guys who were probably like on the bottom tier of our top fighters and forcers, you know, they would have been a number one guy on any other team. So I think they enjoyed the flexibility of everything. <laughs> right. They could take a night off if they had to. Um... Exactly. Rest the, rest the hand, et cetera. Absolutely, because I mean, four players just in that first season had over 200 penalty minutes, which is just absurd. So that's already 800, 800 plus penalty minutes just in four players, which is yes. unbelievable. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, speaking of not having to fight, so I had heard in a Brad Wingfeld interview on my buddy Fourth Line Voice um, that when you'd be when Wingfeld would be sitting on the bench, the trainer might give him a cell phone, and you know, he'd look over, what the hell is going on? What is this? And, you know, not sure who it was, could have been anybody on the phone, of course, would maybe kind of say, hey, go, uh, go take out number so-and-so over there on Kalamazoo. Is that, <laughs> is that true? Did stuff like that, in my, well, did it maybe happen? I don't know. 
I, I heard things like that might have happened. You know, you know, there might have been some planted phones out there on the bench, and <laughs> you know, there might have been some sign language with the you know suite that we used to sit at, and you know, things <laughs> of that nature. But yeah, definitely, I, I definitely, uh, I plead the fifth, but you know what? It's been over ten years, statute of limitation. Yeah, it's it, it's happened, and uh, you know, we we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with it. Oh, when I heard that story, that was probably one of the funniest things I've ever heard, and I loved every second of it. Just <laughs> yeah, and sometimes and sometimes the calls were made just to see their reactions. It was just all fun. We we would be watching them <laughs> from the from up in the suite or whatever over over center ice, and you know, seeing their faces, it, it just was fun. We, we we used to ball break them all the time. Absolutely, man. Uh, well, you know, I collect jerseys, and as we talked about, I think before we got going, I might have said it during the interview already, but, you know, I got my Frank Bialois jersey on uh, that was that he wore while he was with the Trashers, um, and you had oh, wow. an equipment trainer, or excuse me, an equipment manager with the name of uh-huh. Tommy Pompasello, and he did some crazy shit for you guys um, as far as customizations, <laughs> but he also maybe washed the jerseys with some uh, cooking oil or Crisco, <laughs> you know. What kind yeah, of shenanigans did you guys have with the jerseys? Well, you know, that I didn't see personally, but I do know that, uh, you know, he, he's been around the game for a long time. His his father was the uh, equipment manager for the Rangers, so he he learned a lot of tricks along the way. And I did hear that he used to, um, you know, certain guys' jerseys were, were, were washed with a, a cooking element. And uh, <laughs> it's funny because it, it definitely worked because, you know, you, you watch some of the fights and, obviously grabbing on to a jersey is very important and and uh you know it, it, we we were getting a lot of shit in the beginning because guys kind of went the rob ray route and they weren't tying down their jerseys and you know they'd be half naked on the ice and they kept telling us they were going to find us and so we found an alternate way to <laughs> we found the a different way to make it harder for our opponents to grab onto the guys so it was it was it, you know stuff like that. You, I almost forget about, and and then when I hear it, it's just hilarious every time. Oh, absolutely! And I know guys back in the day used to put on. Uh, they'd put Vaseline on their faces. I don't know if anybody on the Trashers did, of course, but they'd put Vaseline on their faces so punches would slip yes. and put that on their shoulders or the collars a little bit. So it's all in good, all in good fun. You, you didn't do nothing out of the hey, ordinary. Hey, you know what? Until they hey, until they tell you not to do it, you do what you got to do. Exactly. That brings up another point. Did the league ever contact you? Well, I'm sure you probably got multiple calls, like, you know, the kid who's always in the damn principal's office. But did you guys ever get contacted? Like, what the fuck are you guys doing out there? You know, we had a we had a love hate relationship with with the UHL. Um, You know, you know, Richard Brissell was the old commissioner and he was actually a great guy, um, mainly because he didn't really take part in the disciplinary stuff. There was a guy who was in charge of all that, and uh, I don't think he was too fond of us. But, um, oh, yeah, I mean, most of the games were played on weekends. By Monday, by the time, you know, you wake up, you were having messages and what we did this week. And (laughs) it was just – I think that's the best analogy I ever heard, you know, being in the principal's office. It was definitely – but you know what – in a sick way, I feel like they liked us and they liked what we did because we brought a lot of attention to the league. And um, I believe we were probably the top grossing um, visiting team, you know, on the road, people would come out and, it, you know, it was a, it was, it was a, it was a ice capage. It was like a big circus and, and people, they, they, they took to it. 
Oh, for sure. Well, and didn't you guys actually have like the best-selling merchandise that that first year too? As far as like the uh, memorabilia stuff goes. So. I, yeah, I, I believe so. I, I I do. I don't know for a fact, but I do remember hearing that you know after the first year we we had um, grossed a lot of money with the merchandise and uh, yeah, I mean people just like I said they just they just once you got them in it was hard to lose them. They just they just there was just something in the air that we we just captivated people and and uh we just had the right players and we just everyone bought into the image and it was just a whole lot of fun for sure man um and you know one thing that kind of always goes hand in hand i notice a lot of hockey fans are also uh a lot of uh, they happen to be excuse me they happen to be wrestling fans as well and you guys actually cool. had john cena out there at a danbury game uh before one of the games what was that like well first of all my 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 first dream as a child was to be in the WWF. That was always my dream was to be uh, a wrestler. And uh, when I realized what it really took, I, I changed my position. But I was always a, a I'm still to this day a huge wrestling fan. And um, you know, it was uh, it was so funny. I, I to be honest with you, it wasn't me. It was someone had contacted the WWE at the, you know they changed it to WWE. They they contacted them and. I guess they were promoting something locally and, and I had just heard, you know, I didn't set it up, but someone had told me, Hey, John Cena is coming to the game, uh, Friday night or Saturday night. And I remember it was the infamous, uh, Chad Wagner game where we had just a crazy night of brawls and, uh, Chad <laughs> Wagner actually got suspended for life for going after Adirondacks coach. And it was just madness. But, I tell you, John Cena, I'd say, you know, he was like right on the cusp of becoming like a huge deal in pro wrestling and um, just such a down to earth guy, really cool guy. Um, we had a jersey made for him. He dropped the puck and he actually gave me the jersey. I still have the jersey somewhere, but uh great guy, really down to earth, humble. And uh, he, he, he actually have uh, footage of him, you know, sitting with us watching the game and he, he was loving it. So that was a very memorable time for me, especially as a, a wrestling fan. Absolutely. Way to put on a show for John Cena. If he comes to town, I suppose yes, you got to play it up a little bit there. Maybe he was the one making the phone calls to the bench that night. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you know, you never know. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, and you know, speaking of like kind of the diehard following and you say you kind of, you had people coming or excuse me, coming from like all different places, New York, New Jersey. Cause of course it's the lockout year. You had a section of rowdy fans and it was known as section one Oh two. How did that kind of happen uh -huh. where it became this, you know, this almost this cult fan following of this section. It was just that section and the, you know, you try to buy tickets on the website and they were not family oriented seats. Yes, so yes. How did that happen? Well, well, most of those fans came from New Haven. And again, I don't know if I mentioned it previously, but, you know, before Danbury, my dad had tried to save the New Haven franchise, uh, get what league they were in at the time. I think it might have been the UHL, but my dad had really U. tried. Yeah, I, I think uh, my dad had really tried in 03, you know, beginning of 04 to kind of save that franchise. He was interested. And, uh, you know, it just didn't happen. But, you know, a lot of those fans, down there who were rabid fans down in for new haven as well they um kind of had heard that my dad was looking to help them out and they didn't forget they were loyal they they would come up and support our team and they they were just you know they it was like danbury was a second home for them and they just 
they just loved us. We loved them. We, we, we did a lot of stuff together and, um, you know, they, they just were the best fans you could imagine. They really, um, they were literally, you know, it's such a, I hate saying these cliche phrases, but they were really the sixth man on the ice. And, uh, you know, they, they just, I can't say enough things about them. They, they were so important to, you know, the franchise and, and our history. For sure. And, you know, I, I had interviewed, you might remember him when he played, uh, but it was actually Bruce Watson. I think he was playing for Rockford at the time. And I had yep, asked yep, him, I thought, you know, yep. oh, yeah, I'd asked him, you know, what was it like going to Danbury? He's like, he's like, I just wanted to get the fuck out of there when the game was over. <laughs> you just didn't catch a break. And I'd asked him about Section 102, and he's like, those are probably the people throwing fucking beers at me and shit. <laughs> Said they were waiting for oh, him yeah, outside Bruce, the locker Bruce, room. Yeah, Bruce was a tough guy. I remember Bruce Watson had a good fight with Wingfield and Danbury. And uh, Rockford was, a was oh, man, they were they were a tough team, too. And uh, we, we had some pretty good battles with them. We only actually, you know what, to be honest with you, in two years, I think we played them twice. Once there and home, you know, the first year. And, and uh, the second year, we played them in Danbury. And we played them the first year in Rockford. But we, we got up for that game. They were They were a tough team. Yeah, fucking old Watson said that, you know, when he'd be trying to get out of the locker room, somebody'd be, they'd be like just saying shit to them through the door of the locker room. Uh, <laughs> shit like that. You just couldn't catch a break. He's like, I just wanted to get the fuck out of there, get on the bus and go. Yeah, well, that, that worked. That, that's, uh, you know, we, we, we called it the Danbury flu. A lot of guys, not Watson, obviously, he's a tough guy, but a lot of guys were uh, mysteriously injured coming into Danbury or got scratched. And uh, we, we definitely, we, we, we were calling it the Danbury flu. It was a good time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I've seen a couple fight videos actually of, yeah, I think it's um, Rasty fighting in them and a couple Wingfeld fights that are out there on YouTube. And in the background, it's almost like you guys brought a slice of the LNH to, well, not only with just the fighting, but kind of the general atmosphere where the LNH, they'll play like the, they'll have the goal horn going off during the fights. Uh You know, you guys had a fan who brought like a, I don't, I think you guys called it like the horn from hell or something. And this thing would just be going off. Hell's horn, just going off like a motherfucker during all these fights (laughs) and shit. What was that about, man? Oh, man, I, one of the fans, I believe his name was Mike. I, I'm pretty sure his name was Mike. He uh, was a, you know, season ticket holder, I believe, in Section 102. I believe Shocker. that came off a fire truck, to be honest with you. And this guy would lug this every home game. And it was the first time I heard it, I almost came out of my seat because I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I mean, we didn't set this up at all. He just was lugging it. And, uh, I remember the cops, the security guards used to be like, you know, do you want us to, you know, take this? We said, hell no, let him blow it as long as he wants. I don't give a shit. I mean, uh, he used to, you know, during timeouts, you know, the opposing teams would be trying to set up plays. He'd be blowing that right over their head. I mean, it was, it was loud. I mean, it was um, crazy loud. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it just became a fixture at the games. <laughs> that's tremendous man because <laughs> they were like I, when i first heard it i'm like what the fuck is that noise and i think it wasn't until yeah. you guys because i thought it was just like the pa announcer or like you know the dj playing a noise or some shit during the fights i'm like oh fuck this is you know this is phenomenal it's exactly like the lnh with a little bit of u-haul flair on it um yeah it turns out it's a fan with the fucking horn that's awesome yeah I mean, just lugging it. I mean, it doesn't look, it, it didn't look light either. I mean, he'd be lugging it. And, uh, 
I mean, it just became part of everything, you know, that went on at those games. For sure, man. Um, and, you know, we I think we had talked about it before, but what happened with Wingfeld and Elzingen? I know people people listen. You can go to my buddy Darren over at Fourth Line Voice and listen to his interview with Wingfeld, um, and you can kind of hear his side of everything. But from your perspective, AJ, what, what was kind of going down there? Well, I remember Wingfield that year. I mean, he was on a line with Brent Gretzky. Um, you know, his injury happened pretty early in the season. I'll tell you, had he stayed healthy that year, Brad Wingfield would likely had 40-plus goals and 500-plus penalty minutes. He was on a tear that year. I mean, it, it, people don't realize what a player Wingfield actually is and was. I mean, he had one of the best wrist shots I ever saw in my life. And I'm telling you, had he played – if you look at his stats, if you go on Hockey DB or whatever – but if you look at Brad Wingfield's stats that first year with us, 0-4-0-5, I mean, it was, the season was cut tremendously short. But he, the stats he put up in just not even, I don't even think, half a year, I mean, had he stayed healthy that whole year, I mean, you're talking like astronomical crazy stats. I mean, as far as like PIMS go and, and points and everything, I mean, it was it was ridiculous the tear he was going on. Um, guys just didn't want to be around. I mean, guys would just skate away from him. I mean, he had breakaways all the time. Guys just didn't want any part of him. And uh, he could actually skate. He could shoot. He could do a lot. Had a lot of assists with Brent Gretzky. And, uh, but, no, that night, I believe, if I remember correctly, it was, a, it was a random weekday game. It was a Wednesday night. And um, I had come – I drove back from college to, you know, watch the game, obviously. And, uh, you know, typically the, the random Wednesday, Thursday night games, they, they weren't attended to as much as the weekend games. So it was a quiet house um, still early on in our first year. And I remember Winger was trying to fight Elzinger, and, you know, you know Elzinger was, you know, no, 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 no. And on one particular incident, you know, Winger <laughs> turned around to skate, you know, back to play some defense and uh, – I remember specifically seeing, you know, Josh Elzinger, you know, kind of grabbed him by the back of his jersey, pulled him back, and kind of slew-footed him. And when I tell you, um, you know, I could hear, like, the, the, the leg break. I mean, it was it was sick. It was a sickly sound. And because there was so few people in the stands that night, I mean, you just heard it, you know, the echo off the ice and off the ceiling. I mean – Winger, who's probably one of the toughest people I ever met in my life. I mean, he was screaming like, I mean, it was it was a very gruesome, gruesome injury. And, and, and you know, hearing him scream the way he did, I mean, I'm like, holy Christ, that guy, I mean, he's hurt. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was it. I mean, definitely a cheap shot. I mean, uh, it was definitely a cheap shot. And, you know, it was uh, it really cut winger season short, which is a shame because I mean he was gonna, he was on a tear. I don't even, I mean, if you look at his numbers, I, I can't imagine if he played all 82 games or whatever it was, how, how many, what his stat line would have looked like. Yeah, for sure. And I know he ended up, he, even to this day, he says uh, he doesn't think he quite got Elzinga back as good as he wanted to. And I know, uh, you know, the the, the Danbury um, <laughs> the Danbury video crew was kind enough to kind of uh, minimize the broadcasting when he was going to get his revenge. So it's funny how that kind of worked out total, that way. <laughs> to, total coincidence. Yes, definitely. It is. Absolutely. And I, <laughs> I, even, I even heard, you know, maybe it was management, not sure. 
100% if it was somebody from Danbury or if it was maybe just a fan, but they even wanted to go pay Elzinga a little bit of a visit after that too. So you never know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was definitely that was that second time around when Winger came back. That was a that was that was a tense game. Oh, absolutely. I guarantee it was. Um, you know, and kind of, you know, we'll wrap it up here a little bit. I don't want to take too much of your time. I got some fan questions after this one for you, but you guys actually finally were able to raise a Danbury Trashers banner at the Danbury Arena just this year, 15 years after winning yeah. the Eastern Division. What was that like for you, man? Well, it was a great, you know, like I said, I mean, there's been a few minor league teams that came after us, you know, after the, you know, 2006. And one thing I'll say is, you know, the few teams that have come after us, they, they, uh, you know, the, no matter what level of hockey they're playing at, they've always kind of played homage to us and have always been respectful to myself and my father. And uh, this team in particular, the the current team, the Danbury Hattricks, um, I really like what they're doing. I think they're uh, they're doing a great job. They had a, you know, their first season this past year, unfortunately cut a little short because of the COVID stuff. But uh, there's definitely a buzz again. You know, there's been some teams that came after us, but they, I definitely notice a buzz um, with this team they got going on the hat tricks. And I, I'm happy to see it because, um, you know, obviously that's what we wanted to create, you know, a hockey atmosphere here in Danbury. And, you know, I wish them all the best. And they were, like you said, they were nice enough on alumni night to bring back some of the old, you know, the, you know, the previous franchises, including us and, they raised the, uh, you know, the 0506 banner. It really meant a lot, and I was happy that my dad was there with me, and we got to share that moment. It was definitely a great time. Yeah, for sure, man. It's you know, it's a shame that, of course, everything happened and the team folded. But you know, just those two years, like we talked about before, it's like an urban legend. You know, the Danbury Trashers. You just hear about it and uh, you hear these stories yeah, and rumblings, I mean, it, and there's not much footage out there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what I think. Uh, you know, sometimes things, you know, sometimes the stars just align and, and certain things happen and it creates magic. And I really think that's what happened with us. Um, you know, the two seasons we played, you know, I think with the NHL lockout that first year and then, you know, obviously the style of play was a little more physical back then. I think it was the perfect timing for a team like us, you know, where we are located and everything. And it was a, it was definitely a, a, a hell of a ride. Absolutely. Um, well, we'll go with a couple of fan questions here, and then I'll get you on your way, man. Um, so Martin asked, you know, who is your favorite fighter as far as hockey goes? You know, could have been somebody from Danbury or anybody from, you know, any other league. Oh, God. Well, growing up, I mean, uh, <laughs> growing up when I started, you know, getting into hockey, I was probably nine years old. I, I, you know, when the movie The Mighty Ducks came out was what got me into hockey, actually. And uh I remember the first pro game I ever went to was, I want to say, 1994. It was the Devils and the Penguins. And I remember Scott Stevens, who's my all-time favorite NHL player, um, he laid out Yarmir Yager at the time. And I'll never forget it. Uh, I just remember the roar of the crowd. And that's literally what got me into hockey. I mean, I was hooked from there. As far as fighters go, Oh, I'm biased. If we're talking Danbury, I mean, Brad Wingfield and John Morassi, obviously, I mean, they, that that's like a pick em for me. That's 50-50. I don't know which way I would go if I had to choose, you know, who I like better. But, you know, in terms of in terms of the NHL, when I used to watch it, you know, back in the 90s and stuff, I mean, 
I used to love, and I, people are probably going to be surprised with this answer. I used to love Matthew Barnaby, and I'm going to tell oh, you why. Yeah. That guy is a pain in the ass, and um, I mean, it, it, but what I loved about him was he seemed to fight anybody, no matter what. And I loved he would have been a Danbury Trasher for sure because <laughs> he was he used to he used to stir the shit. I mean, he wasn't like a heavyweight, obviously, but. I always, whenever we were playing Buffalo, you know, the dog was a big devil fan. You know, whenever we played Buffalo or whatever team he was on, I, I always used to get up for Matthew Barnaby. And when I tell people that, they look at me crazy. They're expecting a big heavyweight, a Bob Probert type of thing. But uh, I loved Matthew Barnaby. Um, I want to say I love Sean Avery, too. I hate to say it, but <laughs> I'm just... I, I, I want to say, you know, he broke my heart with what he did to my guy, Marty Brodor, that time. But other than that, I, I just love guys that just go to the beat of their own drum, and he's definitely one of them. But as far as pure fighters go, uh, man, it, there's a lot of different options there. I mean, um, I don't know. I used to love Cam Jansen in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. I used to love him with the Devils. He was one of my favorites. Um you know, it's it's really it's a that's a tough question, but I, people are surprised when I say Matthew Barnaby. He's always just someone I always remember fighting and causing hell. And whether you whether he was on your team or not, you you just noticed him, and he was the type of guy I liked. Oh, for sure, and it's a shame, you know. Players like Barnaby made the NHL entertaining to watch, and now you you don't really get guys like that. The closest thing you might get is Ryan Reeves, but you know it's just it's not quite the same, I don't think, unfortunately. But yeah, Barnaby no, that'd have been that'd have been sweet. Yeah, I mean, and, and funny, funny, you know, not to get into it too much, but Sean Avery played in the UHL during the lockout with the Motor City. He was with the uh, Motor City, right? Yep. We tried to trade for him at the trade deadline when Motor City was going nowhere. It never happened. But to think what Sean Avery would have done with us is, is something I'll never I, – I never spoke to the man personally or his agent or anything, but I do remember we tried hard to get him at the deadline, and that just would have been a, a match made in heaven. That would have been absolutely phenomenal <laughs> to get Avery. We, we, I mean, that – and when I tell you not to not to ramble on, but I remember no, no, go ahead, the man. lockout – when the lockout, you know, I mean, the first half of that year, 2004, 2005, you know, the lockout, you know, there was still hope for an abbreviated season the second half. But when we found out that there was going to be no season, um, we got very close to Donald Brashear as well. You know, he ended up signing for way more money in the Quebec League, but we wanted him. I, I was trying to put, you know, we got Stephen Pete. I was like, if we could get Donald Brashear and Mike Rupp, and on the same line, I said that that'll be pretty crazy. So <laughs> we definitely tried. We tried for um, we tried we tried for all the big guys, no matter what. I mean, we obviously couldn't afford some of them, but we 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 took a shot. Funny, you might have answered the next question that uh, Anthony had for you. And he was that he literally asked anyone you wanted to sign, but you couldn't. Oh God, yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, we got um, actually Stephen Pete wasn't my signing. That was actually um. I forget who got us plugged in with him and his agent. And uh, he ended up coming and I felt bad for him because he couldn't find anyone to fight. Really. He got into a couple scraps, but nothing major. No one wanted any parts of him, but uh, we definitely, I remember specifically when we found out that the NHL was done completely for that year. Uh, we definitely were in heavy talks with Brashear's people. That would have been funny. Um, same thing with George's LaRock. I mean, we, we oh. tried for 
we tried for anybody really. Um, but Sean Avery would have been for me just for comedy purposes. And, and he could play, obviously. I mean, we, we, that would have been, um, that would have been something else. Oh, he would have been a fan favorite in two seconds, hands down. Like no questions asked. Absolutely. That would have been funny to watch. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Even well, cause you're right there next to New York too. So people would have drove down just to see that for sure. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah, we tried. I mean, I, I remember specifically we were trying hard to get him, but it just never happened. Yeah. The fucking, uh, that motor city mechanics got him Hatcher and Chelios. Ugh, fucking mechanics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'll say about yeah. them. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That's another logo. I love But God. I fucking hated that team. Um, yeah, we didn't, we didn't, I don't even remember really playing them much. I remember, maybe it was the second year, I remember, ah, God, my memory. I think it was the second year we played Motor City at home, and they had a tough guy named Brandon Fleener, and um, he was really tough, but he just, he just didn't fight with anyone with us. He just, we, we were, I know Morasti was basically trying to strip him down to fight, and he just wouldn't fight John, and, uh. It was uh, it was fun, for sure. Um, you know, two more for you here. And Scotty asked, "What was your proudest signing?" So, you know, who did, who did you who were you most proud of that you can say, "Yeah, fuck yeah, I brought up the Danbury." Oh God, um, I tell you, two 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 guys. Well, I I tell you the the heart. My heart tells me. My favorite signing was Mike Rupp, and I'll tell you why. At the time, Mike Rupp wasn't a major NHL player at the time. He ended up having a really solid career after the Trashers. But um, I, you know, like I said, I'm a huge New Jersey Devil fan, and I actually went to Game 7 of the 2003 Stanley Cup when uh, the Devils won the Cup against Anaheim. And Mike Rupp was actually called up that series from the Albany River Rats, I believe. And he actually scored, I mean, the winning goal to win the Stanley Cup. If you go back, he actually had the goal that ended up being the winner that the Devils, you know, won the Cup. And I actually was there probably 10 rows from the net where he kind of tipped the puck in from Jeff Friesen. I'll never forget it. And I just remember loving that story. Like Mike Rupp, oh, wow, he was, you know, he came out of nowhere and essentially won the game for us in the, in the Cup. And a year and a half later, he's playing with us. It was just a, a real surreal moment for me. You know, I remember picking him up from the airport, and I think when he saw me being so young, he probably was like, what the hell did I get myself into? <laughs> but um, that I'll never forget Mike Rupp coming. But honestly, I think the proudest personal moment, and it's, it's all a team game, but for me personally um, – Trading for David Beauregard at the deadline uh, the second year was really a big thing for me. I mean, David Beauregard, um, probably one of the best pure goal scorers in minor league history. And at the time of the trade deadline that second year, we were we were in a, a major slump and we were not scoring goals. And remember, my dad was pretty pissed off and he told me, go get a goal scorer. So I remember calling up Roanoke at the time and, and trying my best to get him and we we ended up making a deal and i mean he actually scored the overtime goal in muskegon to get us to the you know colonial cup so he he was a, a big time uh, acquisition for us that i take a lot of pride in 
There you go. That'll do it for you. If you, if Dad says go get somebody, you're going to go get somebody, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that was on my spring break too, in my sophomore year of college. It was a stressful time. So yes, it was a, uh, it was a crazy time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and the last question from a fan is, uh, you know, my good buddy Shane, who runs the History of Hockey podcast, and he actually did a little little special called, uh, you know, uh, he did a special on the Danbury Trashes, I think, a few years back. Um, oh, nice. But, he wants to know. He so it's his it's his favorite logo of all time. You know, is there ever any chance that the Danbury Trashers re-release the jerseys that you guys had? Well, I probably get asked this question a few times a year, and and what I will say is, we we are looking to um, re-release some merchandise, um, shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, etc. But I know the crown jewel is really that jersey that people have been asking me about for 15 plus years now and uh we we've definitely have talked about it and uh i won't say yes i won't say no i it's kind of a to be continued on that but definitely it's it's something that's slowly been gaining some more traction with uh those those, those jerseys people have been talking to me 15 plus years now and uh i wouldn't be surprised if it happens let's just put- well yeah i know i know that the jerseys and everything even the alternate jerseys you guys had were you know tremendous and people love them uh even myself it's i've it's taken me i think a total of like four years to get just two of the jerseys that were just the replicas you know searching around on ebay every other day danbury trashers trying to fucking find them uh, yeah but and the well the last thing shane wants to know is is there ever a chance that we see the trashers take the ice again Oh God! I and that's probably the number one question I always get. If it's not about <laughs> sure. the jerseys, it's about that. You know, I, I don't know. You know, like I said, I, I I've been so so far, kind of past the game at this point. I haven't been involved much. Um, you know, I, I'm in the boxing now. I mean, look, you never say never in life, but you know, I think the game is just so different now to me. Sorry about that. No worries. Uh, but you were saying the game's so different now. Yeah, I mean, the the game is just, it's so different now, and, and I don't know if um, we could ever duplicate what we did back in the early 2000s, really, and, and the last thing I would ever, ever do is try to disappoint the fans, and, and you know, I just think it's one of those things where it, it's, uh, we, we had our time, and, you know, you, you never say never, but um, I don't know. It, w- it would be tough to emulate, I'll tell you that. I think it's almost best to leave it at the one and done because it adds to the I guess the nostalgia and the the shock value of it you know absolutely I mean I it would be it would be very hard um and you know what it, it's like I said that the sport is so different now it would it would be hard to hard to hard to accomplish what we did and and uh you know like I said there's a there's a new team in town now who I think is doing a great job and hopefully they're that you know hopefully their league We'll keep going and you know minor league sports is hard to maintain and i'm hoping that you know the team they got here now the hat tricks they can they can keep doing their thing and i think they're they're doing they're representing dan very well for sure man well there you have it a little little history on the trashers and some of the uh the on ice antics and uh you know signing some of the tough guys from aj the galante the man himself who was the gm at just 17 years old thank you man i appreciate you having me Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on and taking the time to uh, bullshit with me and kind of go down memory lane a little bit here. Anytime, pal. I appreciate it. You have yourself a good night, all right, man?
You got